hear God's word. And while he, being Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Thanks, John. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How we doing? All right. Okay. A couple of you are doing all right, which is good. Uh, the rest of you, we'll see what, how we can do by the end of this. All right. Uh, my name is Josh and I am pastor of Preaching and Vision. For those of you who are brand new, um, and yes, we are continuing in the series, as John said. Um, and this is the last Sunday that we're talking about money. It's not our last Sunday in the series, but it's the last Sunday that we're talking about money. And all the people said... Amen. All right. Just kidding. Uh, no, it is, it's, been, it's been so fun, actually. It's been really, really good to just kind of turn our gaze really away from money and towards worship. What does it look like to worship our God? Um, and this morning, we are, as you know, if you've been around, we are receiving a special offering today uh, called our Legacy Fund. And it's just, it's just the reality is, like, this room is filling. Our parking lot is 100% full. It's 100% full at the 915. And so, man, there's a time coming sooner rather than later when we need to start looking for a future home. And we're going to be setting aside some funds for that. But really, the only reason we're really creating it now is to create a space for generous worship above and, above and beyond. And so we've been talking about that. Now, if you're brand new, you just walked in here for the first time this morning or maybe the first time in this series and you're like, wait a second, what? Don't worry about it. Like, genuinely, don't even worry about it. It's not a, it's not a big deal. Um, if, God, if God moves in your life and, and moves you towards that, it's going to be open for, for a long time. That, that fun will be open for a long time. The opportunity will always be there. You don't, you don't need to worry about it. I'm not trying to spring anything on anybody this morning. We've been marching towards this. We've been talking about this, and it's here today. Um, but before we get into any of that, into any of that, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into our text this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. And I pray that you would create a community of generous worshipers, people who look at you and say, you are the most valuable thing that has ever been and ever will be, and therefore my life will reflect that. There will be evidence of that truth in my life. Only you can do that. Only you can transform our hearts away from pursuing the things of this world and to pursuing you and you alone. And so I just pray this morning that you would do a great work in this place, that you would re rearrange and reorder our loves, that we would love you more than we love anything in the world. I can't do that. I, I can't overcome sin and darkness that resides in our hearts and in our minds. Only you can do that. Through the Holy Spirit, by the power of your blood, I pray that you would do that work this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, friends, I, I'm a product of the 80s. Anybody else in the room a product of the 80s? A good number of us. So this will go well. This will go well. In the summertime, 
in the summertime. There's no school. It's a weekday, and you get out of bed. And here's the thing. You can't watch cartoons all day in the 80s because there's no Netflix. There's no Apple TV. There's no Hulu. There, there's, no, there's no Amazon. There's none of that exists. It didn't exist. It's not a thing, right? There was cable, and that's it. That's all you had. And you didn't have all the channels you have today. You should have a few channels. And so in the summer, during the week, right, there was one day a week that you could watch cartoons, and that was Saturday. And so when you wake up in the morning on a weekday all summer long, and you get your bowl of cereal or whatever it is that your parents left in the cupboard, because mom didn't make you breakfast in the 80s, all right? It was a different time. Kids, ask your parents, all right? You helped yourself. If you didn't help yourself, you starve. Welcome to the 80s, all right? So you go, and you get your cereal, and you sit down, you turn on the TV, and what are you watching? What's on? Okay, after the, I'm not up that early, man. I'm sleeping a little bit. What? The price is right. The price is right every day, every day the price is right. It's so good. And then, and then after the price is right, what comes on? All my children. Soap operas. And the TV goes off and you go outside and we wonder why kids don't play outside today. It's because they're not forced to watch soap operas. Like you, there was like, what's a better alternative to going outside or watching soap operas? You go outside. That's just what you do, right? Um, and so Price is Right, man, every, every day of my life in the summer, in the 80s, I watched The Price is Right. And everybody has a favorite Price is Right game. Most of you is probably Plinko. That was like the one, yeah, okay, we got a Plinko fan. Right? For me, it was high-low. I don't know if you remember, it's like higher or lower, higher or lower, right? And they would have somebody up on the stage, and Bob Barker's there, and he's like, is the price of this men's foot cream higher or lower than the toothbrush? And everybody's screaming, higher, it's higher, and everybody's yelling at their TV, it's higher, right? And, and they guess higher, and they win, and it's like, Johnny, tell them what they won. It's a new diet set from Broy Hill, every time, every time it's the same thing, right? Um, and... I love that game. I love that game. You had to judge. You had to know, like, is the price, is the value of the object higher or lower than the value of another object? And I, I think in order to become generous worshipers, listen to me, you, you've got to master that skill. You've got to be good at high-low. You need to know what is right and worthy of worth and what is right and worthy of value. You need to have the skill to be able to align the things you love in life. What is worthy of your love? What is worthy of your affection? What is worthy of ultimate devotion? Can you get them in the right order? Can you master the ability of high-low? And this morning, in the story, what we have is a woman who has mastered the game of high-low. She gets it, she grasps it, and she knows it. Now, we find this story, the story uh, that John read for us earlier out of the Gospel of Mark. We find it in Matthew's Gospel, and we find it in Mark's Gospel, and we find it in John's Gospel. Okay? Luke has an account of a very, very similar story, but based on the details, it seems like it's actually a different story. It's a different time, a different place, a different woman. But here... Uh, we, we glean some details from some of these other Gospels, and so you're going to hear me reference them throughout our time this morning. Um, what we have is this woman. John names some names. We learn in John's Gospel that this is Mary, the, the sister of Martha. Um, we learn that they are uh, in this house outside of Jerusalem, and the, the disciples get angry, but, and John again names names. He says, well, it's really Judas. Judas is the one. He kind of points the blame at Judas. That Judas gets angry, and we learn it's because Judas is in charge of the money bags, and he's skimming a little bit off the top. We'll talk more about that later, right? 
but Mark's a little bit more honest. He says, well, it wasn't just Judas. There was a few people in the room that were kind of angry. And Matthew's completely honest. He says, no, actually, it was all of us. Like, everybody in the room was pretty angry at what happened that day. And so you're going to hear me reference these different accounts of what happens with the woman. And what the woman does is she brings in this alabaster flask of pure nard. Everybody say nard. Just because it's fun to say, right? Um, she brings in this alabaster flask of pure nard. And we learn in Mark's account and in John's account, it's declared that this, that this flask of perfume, it's kind of from India, pure nard from India, would have been worth about 300, over 300 denarii. Now, a denarius is a day's wage, a single denarius is a day's wage. So about 300 denarii is almost a year's salary. It's over 300 uh, days' wages. And so in, in, you got to kind of fast forward in time, South Davis County right now, the average household income in South Davis County, where we live in Davis County, is $94,000 a year. And so this flask of ointment is ballpark a $75,000 flask of perfume. Now you say, what kind of crazy person is buying that? Okay, listen, she didn't buy it. She didn't buy it. Okay, most likely, Mary did not buy this, this flask of perfume. Okay, this would have been, yes, it's extremely valuable, but it would have been an heirloom piece. It would have been something that either her, her father or maybe even her grandfather had saved up for, had saved a year's salary. It's possible that her grandfather saved in the past money onto her father, and her father saved and then bought this with that money. Now you say, why on earth would anybody, anybody buy this with all the, if you saved up a year's salary, who's buying perfume, okay? Um, so this, this, has, this has sentimental value to it because it's been a, in her family. It's precious to her. But it's also, here's why they would buy it. It's in, in first century Israel, there's no savings account at the bank. There's no bank you go to where you have a savings account. There's no government insurance policy. And so if everything goes south, if, if there's a famine in the land, if raiders come and take over the city, right, and you have to flee for your life, there's, there's no savings account. What you have are these extremely valuable objects that are set aside. And in the time of need, I mean, at the very least, you can sell that and you can have some food to eat. It's going to get you through at least a year of famine. And if you ration it, maybe it'll get you through a couple years of famine. This is, a, this is her family's complete savings account. It's all they have to live on if everything goes south. And so when she comes carrying in this flask that she's probably been told since she's a little girl, hey, don't touch that, all right? Like, it's like every, every little kid that comes in the house, like, just don't touch it, all right? It's probably tucked away someplace safe. She comes in carrying it very carefully, and everybody in the room kind of knows what this is. And they're all thinking, oh, my goodness, how unbelievably generous, how unbelievably how what honor she is showing Jesus by taking, by taking a small amount of this priceless perfume and, and, and putting a little perfume on him, anointing him as the honored guest. How much respect, how much love, how much devotion is she showing Jesus by, by putting a little bit of this perfume on him and honoring him as the, the guest of the house. And, I mean, what an amazing act of devotion. But that's not what she does, is it? No. She takes this 
alabaster flask, a stone flask, and she smashes it. She breaks it open and begins to rub it, John tells us, on Jesus' feet. The entire contents of the bottle have been poured out upon Jesus, and she's wiping his feet with it in this unbelievable act of praise, this unbelievable act of worship. And that's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. I meant to say it earlier, but I'm going to say it to you now. Wherever there is a generous worship, there is a declaration of worth. Wherever there is generous worship, there is a declaration of worth. And the woman is saying Jesus is worth everything. He's worth everything. In the game of high-low, as she measures it out, she says, okay, is Jesus Higher or lower than the ointment? Is the ointment higher or lower than Jesus? And she says, it's lower. It's lower. She's mastered the game. She looks at her life and she says, man, is this thing higher or lower than Jesus? Lower. This thing over here, is it higher or lower than Jesus? Lower. And so let me ask you, your hobbies, is it higher or lower than Jesus? I'm starting off with an easy one, friends. I think we can do this. Come on. If you are on The Price is Right and you're in the audience and you're screaming, is it higher or lower than Jesus? Your hobbies? Lower. There we go. Bob Barker would be mildly impressed. Um, Your career, your success in your career, is it higher or lower than Jesus? Lower. Your car, higher or lower than Jesus? Yeah. Your home, higher or lower than Jesus? Slower. We're getting a little quieter. Some people are like, oh, I need to think about that. But it only gets harder. Your family, higher or lower than Jesus? Lower. It is lower. Your life, higher or lower than Jesus? The breath in your lungs, higher or lower than Jesus? lower, baby. It's lower. The next beat of your heart, it's lower. It is lower. He is more worthy than anything in your life. He is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. He is the infinite king of kings. He has secured it by his blood. He has conquered sin and death. And everything is lower than him. Everything. And very few people, I'm going to tell you, very few people master the game of high-low. Very few people. You can say it with your mouth, but to acknowledge it like she does in this way, it's impressive. Wherever there is worship, there's a declaration of worth, and the woman is saying, Jesus is worth everything. Everything. And yet we know, if you've ever watched Price is Right, that it doesn't even matter if the person up there is right or wrong. Somebody's always yelling, it's higher, you idiot. Every time, like, there's audiences screaming, it's like, no, you're wrong. All right, somebody's yelling at their TV, it's higher, you're wrong. And that brings me to the second thing that you need to see, right? Wherever there is a, their generous worship, there is opposition. Wherever there's generous worship, there is opposition. Every time we begin to rightly, generously worship God, when we actually master this, People are going to freak out. The world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. It's not a big deal. It has no problem with too much wealth 
You can have as much money as you want. Nobody's going to complain about that. And there's no problem with too much influence, right? You should have as many followers on Instagram and TikTok as you can possibly have. Nobody has a problem with that. There's no problem with too much power, man. You should go out there and find it. You should achieve. You should work for it. You should attain it. There's no problem with too much sex. Get as much as you can possibly have. But the world has a problem with too much religion. It's evident here in the text. We can overvalue anything in our lives as long as we never rightly value God. You can overvalue anything in your life and people just keep their mouths shut. You can spend $10,000 a year on your kids' youth activities and everybody's like, well, whatever. Maybe they'll get a scholarship someday and then it'll only be worth it. No, it will not. But nobody's going to say anything. You can overvalue everything in your life. You can get that car that you love and you can wash it every day and everybody's going to say, hey, man, he loves that car, but who cares? Whatever, no big deal. You can overvalue anything in your life as long as you never rightly value God. When you rightly value God, there is going to be opposition to that. People are going to freak out. And we see it right here in this text. There are some who said to themselves indignantly, that is an intense word in the Greek, with deep anger. They are angry. Why was the ointment wasted like that? What is she doing? This stupid woman. What are you doing? They begin to scold her. They are scolding her. What is the matter with you? That is your savings account. That has been passed down for generations to you. Do you know how much that's worth? That's 300 denarii. Do you know how many poor people we could care for with that? What is the matter with you? They are angry with her. Anytime. There is a right declaration of praise. When there's real generous worship, there's opposition. I love that they say that they could give it to the poor. They say, man, don't you realize we could give this to the poor? And then Jesus responds, Jesus responds, uh, he says, hang on, you realize the poor are always with you, right? But I'm not always going to be with you? And there's two things going on in this, right? Jesus is saying, he's saying, yes, hey, you know the presence of God is in your midst, Maybe you should worship me, uh, rightly. I don't know. Right now, you can anoint me with oil, but soon you're not going to be able to do that anymore. But right now, you can. So maybe you should think about that. But the, but the poor, the poor are always with you. I think here's what Jesus is saying with that. He's like, you realize that there's always going to be poor people around you? you, you right? Y- yesterday, when we were walking through the market, there was poor people around you. Y- you remember that, right? Because I didn't, I didn't see you do anything for them then. But now you want to? Like right now, you could go down to Smith's and there's going to be people in the parking lot of Smith's that, that need your help. And they're there every day. There's people in the parking lot of Starbucks that need your help, but they're there every day. In Salt Lake City, there's so many people that need your help. They're always there. They're always with you. But I didn't see you stop for them. But now, but now that this woman is rightly ordering her loves and she's rightly praising the one who's worthy of all praise, now you're going to pull that card? Now you're going to bring that card out? Huh, it's interesting. Jesus is calling them out on this bogus idea that, they can, that they're going to use this for the poor. Right? In John's gospel, John says, as I said earlier, that Judas is saying, we could have given that to the poor because Jesus is in charge of the money bags and he knows he can skim a little off the top. It's all a play. It's not real. It's just an excuse. How often we say, well, I'm not going to give this because I can give it over here to this, and we just never really do. That's what Jesus is calling them out on. 
And in the meantime, this woman is being absolutely shamed for this act. Imagine the embarrassment. She is carrying in this precious vial of ointment that she knows, she knows its worth. She knows its value. She knows it's the savings account. She knows it's been passed down. She knows it takes all of her strength, all of her energy to muster this, this ability to smash it. Think, think of what's like going on inside of her as she breaks that, knowing the cost. And now all of a sudden these men are screaming at her. These men that she respects, these are the disciples of Jesus. She respects them. Imagine the shame. And I love Jesus' first words. First words of Jesus in the story. Leave her alone. Leave her alone, man. Because Jesus sees what's actually happening. In their demeaning of her, in the questioning of her act, what they're really questioning is the worth of Jesus. That's what's happening. The disciples are the ones screaming, He's lower, you idiot! The perfume is higher. He is lower. They're the ones that are screaming this. They're getting it wrong, but they're screaming it with confidence. He is lower. The perfume is higher. How could you waste it like that? They're demeaning him and his worth. And they've got it wrong. They've missed it. Jesus sees what she is doing. He sees her act. And he stops them. She's saying, I will follow you no matter the cost. There is no cost too great. This is true unconditional love, which very few of us have. Like real, uncondition there's no conditions on her love. She is declaring without words, I'm willing to give you anything. I will give up anything. I will follow you no matter the cost. And many people follow Jesus. As long as it doesn't cost them too much. But true worship says, there is no cost. I follow you no matter what. Come what may, I am yours. And this woman is declaring that. And there's evidence of it. That's the last thing I want you to see this morning is this. Wherever there is generous worship, there is evidence of praise. Wherever there is real generous worship, there's evidence of that praise. There is evidence of her unconditional love and unconditional worship and unconditional devotion in a broken jar at Jesus' feet. Everything that she has is laying there. It's true, unconditional worship, generous worship. The evidence is a broken jar at Jesus' feet. But there's more. God provides even more evidence that this is real, genuine, generous worship. Look at verse uh, 8. It says, she has done what she could. Jesus' words. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now some scholars have argued that this woman, Mary, um, is, is, the first, is the first person to ever actually grasp the gospel, actually grasp that Jesus has to die to become a propitiation for our sins, that he must die to make the payment his body in exchange for our body. Right? She's the first person that clicks for her. I don't think that's true. 
I don't think that's what's going on here. I, I, don't, I don't think that she fully grasped everything that's about to come. I assume that she fully grasped his worth and value. And if she's making this generous act of praise, and God is saying, watch what I do with that. Watch what I do when somebody offers real, genuine worship to me. And Jesus says, listen, this act is going to be the inaugurating moment of my death. This act is going to be the first part of the salvation of the world. I'm going to receive this praise. I'm going to receive this genuine worship. And I'm going to magnify it a thousandfold. Because what's worth more than 300 denarii? The precious, infinitely worthy blood of Christ. He says, watch what I do with it. Watch what I do with it. It reminds me of the prayer of Paul at the end of Ephesians. Paul says, kind of famously, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, God is able to take our generous worship and do with it more than you could ever even ask him to do because you don't have a category for it. More than you could ever think because your mind can't comprehend it. And that's what he does right here. He takes this woman's act of worship and he magnifies it. According to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory and the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Everything that we give to God in worship is used for more than we could even imagine. But you got to remember this. It must be real, genuine worship. It must be real, generous worship. We talked about this last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can go online, you can listen to it. Right, we talked about this idea that, that when, when we give God anything less than real, generous worship, when we kind of fake it, when we say, all right, I, you, listen, you, you can have these things over here, but you can't have this. This is going to be over here. This is mine. God says, no, thank you. He does not accept the worship, and he does not accept the worshiper. He says, no, no thanks. Because he is only worthy, he is infinitely worthy, he's only worthy of our first and best, he's only worthy of real, true worship. True worship. Anything less than true worship, anything that's going to be fake, he says, I don't want that. Because here's the thing, God doesn't want your money. Speaking in Old Testament terms, he doesn't want your goats, he doesn't want your cows, he doesn't want your sheep, he doesn't want your fruits, he doesn't want your vegetables, he doesn't want any of it, he doesn't want your stuff, he just wants a real, genuine act of worship. And so when the evidence is there of a real, genuine act of worship, when it's really, really this movement of the heart that says, you are worthy of all things, God says, watch what I'll do with it. Watch what I'll take and watch what I'll create out of that. The woman is pouring out unconditional praise, and he says, watch what I do with that. There's evidence of her unconditional love and unconditional worship, her unconditional devotion right there in the broken jar at Jesus' feet. And there's evidence of God's acceptance of her worship and the fact that we are still talking about her today. This is true, generous worship. And I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if there was a hundred of her in this room, I wonder what would happen if there was a community of generous worshipers formed here at Flourishing Grace. I wonder what God would do. I can't even ask. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I can't think 
about what God might do in your home if it became a home of generous worship? I can't imagine what God might do in your office or in your neighborhood if it became a place of generous worship. I can't imagine what God might do here at Flourishing Grace if this became a place of generous worship. I can't imagine what God might do if we became a people of generous worship. Right here in Davis County and around the world what God might do in response and proving the genuineness of our praise. But I'd love to find out. I would love to see as the Spirit moves in our hearts and increases our praise, increases our love and our affection for God, and diminishes our love and our affection for the things of this world, and our, and our loves are rightly ordered, where we love Him truly more than we love anything in the world, and we begin to break the jars in our life and praise Him with all that we have, I would love to see what God might do. And so the question is, friends, what broken jars are in your life? Where in your life do you see broken jars? Whenever there's genuine, generous worship, there is evidence of it. Where is it in your life? Are, are there broken jars in your life? Can you point to it and say, man, I, I broke this in the name of Jesus so that he might receive all the praise and the glory and honor? Can you find them in your life? Can you think of the times when you made a radical no, I'm not going to do this, or, I, or a radical yes, I, I am, I'm getting rid of it so I can do this for Jesus. And if not, if not, here's the reality, okay, listen to me. All those things are still in your life that are just higher than Jesus. In the game of high and low, you've put them higher. You've said these things are more worthy and more valuable to me than he is. And my prayer this morning is that the Spirit of God would, would do a radical work in your life and that you would begin to worship him more than you worship anything else in your, in your life. That we'd be a com community of broken jars and that we'd see them all over. So we would see all of our life pe people who have said, man, I I'm content. I, I don't need a new car. I'll just keep driving this one until it breaks down so that I can use this money as a radical, generous praise. I'm I'm happy. I don't need to go buy a new house. Yes, it would be nice, and yes, it would be clean, and yes, it would be more efficient in so many ways, and yes, I could put my kids in the basement, and I wouldn't have to listen to them, and we'd have more space. It'd be amazing, but I'm content. I, I just don't need more. I don't need more. I just want to praise Jesus with all I have. Yes, I keep getting promoted at work, but I'm just going to keep living at my same salary level so I can just give it all away in a radical, generous act of praise. Broken jars, broken jars over our, all over our homes, broken jars all over our lives. And what might happen, what might happen if we become people of praise like that? That's what I'm after. Man, I want to see it come to be. And this morning is a call to break the jar. And something in your life. If there's something in your life that you want to praise him with, something you want to declare his worth with, I want to invite you to write it down. Now, we've been talking about this for three weeks, and so hopefully you've had time to, to think it over, to mull it over, to talk to your spouse or whoever in your life. But there's a little card on your, on your seat. It has the it says generous worship on it, or actually it says the um, legacy fund on it. And on the back, there's these kind of three different options. I, I want that card to be the evidence 
the evidence of our praise, the evidence of his worth. And so I, I don't care what you write. It, isn't, it doesn't matter. Like, but if there's something that the Spirit's just been working in you over the past few weeks and, and kind of stirring in you and say, man, I, I want to release this, not, not because I feel guilty, not because I feel shame, because I genuinely just want to worship Jesus with it. I want to lay it at his feet. I want to cover it all over him. I want to say, man, you are worthy of this. That's what that bottom option is for. Some of you are like, I'm not ready for that. Right? That's why there's other options on there. Maybe it's just, my, I just want to start, I just want to dip my toe in and just give a little bit. M- maybe it's, man, I've been convicted that I'm not bringing my first and best. And so I want to begin to practice regularly bringing, bringing my first and best and just see what God might do as a result of that. I, I don't know what the Spirit's done in you. I don't know what He's doing in you. And maybe it's nothing. As I said, if this is your first time here, man, don't, don't worry about this. Don't worry about it. But I want to say even further, if this is an act of guilt, an act of, oh, I feel like i got to write something, just don't do it. Don't do it. I'm serious. Listen, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. God doesn't want your money. I'm going to be frank with you. Neither do I. Neither does flourishing grace. Like, we, it's, listen, we're good. I'm happy. I am content. I'm content that you're here. I'm content that we get to preach the gospel every single week. We don't need more. We don't need more. We don't need more. What we want is a community of generous worshipers. And we've created this moment to give you space to do that. If that's what's going on in you, let's do it together. And so in a moment, here's what we're going to do as as a family and as a community. Okay? Uh, on On these tables down the middle, we've removed the communion, and now there's these broken jars, these broken flasks on the table. And kind of, as I said, wherever, wherever there's generous worship, there's evidence of that worship. And so we're going to just kind of create some evidence in the room this morning. I'm going to invite you to come and just drop your card in, in the jars. And just say, man, I, I, just, I love Jesus more than this, and drop it in. And then I want you to stay and just hang out and just pray over this moment for a minute. I want us to pray that God would create a community of people that love him truly more than we love anything in the world. That, that would happen at Flourishing Grace, that we would become radically generous worshipers. That we would become, as I said at the beginning uh, two weeks ago, the most generous church in all of Utah. Not the richest, nope. Not the wealthiest, no. But the church of the highest praise of our God is radically generous. Is blessing everyone around us with everything that we have because Jesus is all that we love and all that we're chasing after. I want you to pray that with me this morning. I want you to pray that God would take this evidence and he would magnify it. That he would do more than we could ever ask or think with it. That he would do uh, things that are beyond our capability to even imagine with the generous praise that's offered in this room. And so if this is your first time ever or maybe maybe your first time in a long time or maybe you're just at a place where you're like, "I I can't write anything on this card today. Man, at the very least you can offer some prayer this morning. We can all offer some prayer, yeah? And so we're going to gather on the table. We're just going to linger here for a minute, just like we did with communion. And I'll close out our time in a little bit as we worship God together with one more song and a little bit more prayer. So when you're ready, I invite you to come to the table, to drop in your card, and just hang for a minute and just pray those prayers with me um, in this place. Let's gather again.